Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Level 99. This week is going to be part 2 of the Uber hack. But before we roll into that, I have just a huge favor to ask all of you. The first one is going to be depend whatever platform that you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever, please give me that 5 stars if you think it's it's worthy. It's just going to help other people find it. You know, it's going to help the podcast to grow. And most importantly, if you think someone that would enjoy the series, please share it out with them too. I've greatly enjoyed the support from all of you. It's been very humbling and I definitely appreciate it. But without any further ado, part two. To even a competent security engineer uh, or an incident response person. And um, that's where we have to kind of rely on additional mitigations to um to prevent these sorts of attacks i completely agree with everything you said and, and there's one thing you just mentioned that i was kind of uh hoping to touch base on is that powershell script and i think that is also another failure on, on their part because nowadays it, well i shouldn't say nowadays this has kind of been common practice where you should never leave credentials out there like that and second and to your point earlier why did this admin account have so much access because usually a service account is just that one-to-one that that's usually the more common relation so if that service account needs to have more access to something then you kind of got to look at your design why does this need to have so much integrations set into it and the one thing that i have seen a lot of organization do and you can give me your input on this as well is having a centralized pipeline or a process where everything's going through. So let's say Jenkins, for instance, right? Jenkins has a really nice vault where you can store your credentials. You can uh, do that little variable call that you can pass your uh, uh, variables into it. And the reason why I'm bringing this in is I actually did in, in the past a, a job where I had to use PowerShell through Jenkins to go through maybe 27 instances. And I don't know if you've ever heard of TFS. It was a, I don't want to get started. It was a nightmare yeah, of a product. It, so. <laughs> it's an old like Windows, Microsoft uh, code as the deployment kind of service. Okay. And then and the script was to make sure the service is up, so restart the service. So it was kind of more of a sysadmin kind of script. But, you know, I put it all in Jenkins. It was locked in secure to have the hash and everything. So it was never stored on any single machine. So mm-hmm. I think if they would have took the steps towards a standard DevOps or GitOps approach, that little snippet would have made this individual's life a lot harder to, to hack. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I think I agree with a lot of that. Um, but sometimes like you need uh, admin credentials with, with wider scope access, right? Mm-hmm. So in this particular case, um, it was admin credentials for Phycotic, which is a privileged um, a- account or access management system. So um, that admin credential accesses sort of the the keys to the kingdom of the rest of the credentials in the organization, right? And so um, one, it was bad security hygiene to use an, mm. an admin account of that level in a script, an automated <laughs> script. Um, B having that wide open on a network share, regardless of if you, we think we locked it down um, and we only have limited employees access to it, it's okay because if I have access to that employee's credentials, I can access it as a bad actor, right? Um, <clears throat> and so um, <clears throat> I think, you know, and, and you're, you're kind of spot on 
having a standardized workflow or like centralized place to store uh, those secrets is, is very important. Um, but going a step further and making them not as long lived, right? Because psychotic mm. secret server holds all those privileged accounts, for example. Um, but I was able to get into them because I had access to it. Um, mm. Now, if I was authenticated along the way, or if that account that was stored in the PowerShell script only had a, a TTL of like maybe let's say 15 minutes or something, or maybe 24 hours, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't, I would maybe not have access um, when I particularly got access to those credentials. Um, and so that's, that's what I, um, that's what I see in a lot of places. So um, one example is HashiCorp Vault um, that allows dynamic credentials to be created, like short-lived, right? Mm -hmm. So service accounts, um, I'm used to seeing them in, you know, AD service accounts being active for like 120, 180 days. Um, when we think, when we say dynamic, we want to think of like as short as 10 minutes. If that account in the Uber PowerShell script, for example, was only valid for 10 minutes, that attacker wouldn't have been able to get anywhere, right? Yeah. In your example that you mentioned um, with the Jenkins pipeline, um, if you generated credentials on the fly or had a... Um, new credential every time that pipeline job was run that significantly reduces the blast radius right uh, rather mm -hmm. than having one single cred that lives longer period of time um so i think moving to short-lived credentials is um is huge and then of course uh like alongside what we've already covered and, and i tell everybody time and time again stop storing and hard coding your credentials in scripts. I love automation. I love all that stuff. But um, as you know, a bad actor, that's one of the, that's going to be one of the first things you got to see. And we can actually see that uh, live, like on the internet. We can search mm -hmm. GitHub, GitLab repositories, and uh, search for strings like AWS access key or secret key ID, right? Things like that. And there's so many that are checked in just in plain text. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you know? And so. I think, and ultimately, what does it boil down to? That human element, yes. right? And yes. so I think, I think education goes along the way in, in um, improving that, that security hygiene and, and improving those best practices um, will ultimately go a long way. I think it's also the fact that people who start doing this think it's a lot harder, especially if you don't know what you're looking for or how to do it. I think that first initial step, I will agree, can be challenging. But once you've done it once or twice, it's it's kind of seamless. It's become second nature. So, and I and I definitely agree to what you're saying. It is a bad habit and that needs to be broken. But I think I hate to say this, more training or more. <laughs> I I love so I love Reddit and I love Medium for, mm -hmm. uh, documentation because most of them, if if you find a good one, it tells you exactly how to do something the right way, step-by-step, step. like how to make sure it's secure and encrypted. Um, so for instance, when I was looking into setting up my own website, I was kind of curious on how I would want to do it. Should I let someone else host it? Should I host it? And I was like, you know, I have the skills, let me just do it myself, but let me make sure I am doing it the right way. So I was just reading some extra documentation. Everyone was like, you know, make sure it's encrypted SSL, you have your uh, S3 encrypted, you have like all these other safeguards set in place. So if I didn't take that extra second to just double check myself, I would have probably fat fingered, messed it up and it wouldn't be safe. So sometimes we are just such in a rush to get something done and say, hey, it's done, let me just move on. But it's okay to think about, hey, it's okay to just slow down, 
take a second and make sure you do it right the first time. Cause then things like this doesn't happen. Yeah, definitely. And I think another challenge kind of along the same lines becomes that, you know, our, our SREs, DevOps engineers, mm -hmm. they may not have a security background, like, like DevOps is, is support is supposed to have such a wide net, such a breadth and depth of knowledge in different technologies and, and different, you know, languages that it's, it's almost impossible to know every single thing in super deep. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, those are great recommendations that, that you found great resources that you found, but what if, you know, as an organization, we didn't have the cycles for that, right. Where, mm -hmm. um, I didn't have personally did not have the cycles to start a security one-on-one -on -one best practices type mindset. Right. So how do we, how do we address that? How do we approach that? Well, you know, that's where, um, pen testing comes in. That's where red teams come in and that's where you engage true security professionals to do that auditing, we'll call it quote unquote. Um, but you know, penetration testing, they're essentially, you know, simulating attack on your environment and they, because they are the experts, um, they'll be able to tell us. So even if you followed all of the, the best practices mm -hmm. to lock down your, your S3 buckets, your, um, TLS certificates are valid and you're rotating your credentials. Maybe they found like an old version of Apache you're using that you hadn't considered, mm -hmm. for example, right? And so, um, I think leveraging, um, that sort of expertise to simulate what an attack looks like is a good proactive measure, uh, to, um, start to address things before they actually happen. I, yeah. So one thing I want to add on to that is at one of my previous organizations, once a year, they would actually hire an external pen testing organization that was outside of their own to validate that there is nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was awesome. So usually we would always be on our top of our A game. Once in a while, they would find something. We're like, there's no way. We'd be so disappointed. We're like, fuck, they got <laughs> us. <laughs> we were so happy and proud. Like, yeah, no, everything's ironclad. And, and that one time they did it, we were all were just like disappointed because we were so happy. It was like years. They weren't, they weren't finding anything. And they got us on this one thing. And I think it was a, a, so some kind of random vulnerability, I think it was either Tomcat or some kind of patch. And that's what they got us on. We were like, dang, no one decided oh, to check that. <laughs> you know, it's better them than the bad guys, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that. Um, yeah, I think those are great ways to kind of get that intelligence. Um, we had something similar at our previous organization as well. Um, and the pen tester uh, found, I think... <laughs> It was the storage team engineer, like storage engineer using his domain admin credentials for AD in a script of some kind, um, to automate like those mm -hmm. storage engineer tasks and stuff. And with that, similar to this, they were able to grab those credentials, uh, cause they were cached and then laterally move across the environment because that user was a domain admin. Mm. And so <laughs> it's, um, it's really valuable, um, the sort of, uh, the sort of things that, that these guys find it's, it's really incredible. I was actually lucky enough one time to, uh, sit in a pen testing demo, uh, one of my organizations. And I was just sitting there just thinking like, wow, your whole mindset is so different on what you're checking in and what you're doing versus mine is setting up and securing and making sure it's fine. Like you, you have a whole, your wiring is so different. It was just, Sitting there, it was just like a whole new thing to me. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about doing that ever? 
I thought about it, but I don't know. I, I, I never really got too much into it because it, it it's a slippery slope and I, I like to do things at home. And then if, if I start doing it at home, I want to do it in public and I know myself and I'm like, I'd rather just not kind of do it. I'd rather be on the other side, setting up and defending. Sure. What about you? Yeah. No. Oh, well, um, you are a security engineer. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, in order to, I think like the, the mantra or mindset is like, in order to protect something, you have to know how to break in. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, it's kind of like, uh, you have to have that domain knowledge. And so uh, I was interested in that. And so whenever we did have pen testers, whether they were, um, external or our security team would sometimes conduct those as well. So it was good to kind of, um, do shoulder surfing, watch, the, watch what they were doing, how they were doing things. And you're right. Um, they, it's a completely different mindset and, um, and, and it was just incredible. And so uh, a little bit later after that, I decided to pursue like, um, there's a couple of pen testing certifications, like, um, official, um, or offensive security certified professional and, and a couple others. And, and they, you can, you can actually go to like hack the box and, and there's a couple others that simulate those vulnerable environments that start to break in and stuff. Um, so I think that part of it was kind of cool too, but um, sometimes it's kind of hard, right? Because you're in a time limit, like the, the, the Uber attack or Marriott or Apple, whomever it is, um, you're not just left on your own and in, you know, um, isolated infrastructure somewhere, or network somewhere, there are going to be people watching, there's yeah. going to be applications looking for that stuff. So you have to, you know, move quickly. And so, um, that kind of part of it was, was thrilling and exciting. Uh, so I kind of like that as well. <laughs> Now, it is also very interesting where, you know, we keep saying, you know, Uber this, Uber that. We're kind of like really pointing the finger hard at Uber. But the same can be said about some other organizations that are seen ironclad like Apple, right? So I've preached about Apple a lot because, you know, I think it's not that anything is impossible and we have seen that. But Apple actually recently has had a few huge vulnerabilities and zero-day attacks. But I think it's how you approach and quickly respond to it. So with them, they had a couple of zero-days in their operating system. They quickly came out with a patch next day, told everyone we're super, super open about it. And then they actually, what was I found very fascinating, they started uh, uh, backtesting. So what I mean by that is they checked old versions to make sure it's not there. And then I think what they found, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was either an iPad where a specific version that was vulnerable also led to a couple of uh, previous dot versions or full versions. So then they uh, created a full patch for that as well, which I thought was good for fucking you. Good job. <laughs> good job. I love that. You you did everything, at least in my opinion, and, and I want to hear what yours is, but they did everything correctly. They checked it. They came out. They're opening with it. And they're like, hey, let's go one step over and make sure it's all fixed. And I thought that was awesome. Maybe it's not limited to Apple. Maybe it could be a wide variety of, of organizations, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think that's that's the key to a responsible disclosure of working with security researchers, pen testing teams, whatever they might be, um, so that the, the company like Apple understands what the actual vulnerability is. They can start to dissect it. Um, and because... We're in a closed ecosystem like iOS or macOS. <clears throat> they are going to share code base with um, multiple models of iPhones, for example, or mm-hmm. iPads, right? And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It can affect 
multiple downstream models or upstream models and and even dot versions. And so um, that's, I think, one great aspect of, of working collaboratively between, you know, organizations and the security uh, industry is to um, make it a, you know, almost a community effort, right? Like we're all in this together. And so um, I think what I really liked was that even the older models like iPhone 6s or 6s were getting patches, uh, which is just incredible. I think there's some um, OSs out there. I don't want to, you know, start any <laughs> boy wars, but uh, sometimes manufacturers have challenges, you know, getting um, getting security patches uh, out to those older phones if they're older than two years, for example. And, you know, uh, iPhone 6 is, you know, God knows how, how old we're at iPhone 14, I think now. Six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... Um, that's, yeah, that's totally incredible that they're, uh, they were able to do that. They're committed to doing that, uh, alongside the, um, the patches that they released for Mac OS as well. But I think, you know, like I said, uh, that could be applicable to a lot of organizations. Ultimately, it's just, it's about the willingness mm-hmm. to do it right. And, and that responsibility to do it, um, because it, it we can we can focus on um you know delivering products or delivering releases asap and as quickly mm-hmm. as possible but um if we leave a vulnerable product out there we're ultimately affecting our customers or our users and so uh this is a great approach that um that apple had i i would say it's also like it affects your branding because just like LastPass, right so i don't use LastPass, but they were the moment they found out about their I don't know if you heard about this one, but their developer, yeah, their 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 dev instance got hacked through a developer machine, and so I don't know if it was like the source code or exactly what was taken, but they were super upfront about it straight away and and told everyone, you're not impacted. We have checked, we have verified, we are stating calm, we're staying calm, and we're stating that everyone's okay, and I like that because they were just I, I like that like you said right openness and the response. And I thought that was really good on their part as well. Yeah, that, that's a great response. Um, <clears throat> I am of the mindset of, of not trusting anything, <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, I, I never used LastPass, but there's, there's other organizations that were breached uh, that I was a user or a customer of. Um, and they said, you know, Hey, your information is safe. And lo and behold, like two or three weeks later, I started getting a bunch of spam calls with and text messages. And it's like, okay, well, you guys were the only ones that had my information or as far as as this particular, you know, credential. So if you say nothing was was breached, how can I really, you know, trust that? And so, um, it's, it's good that LastPass had that, um, disclosure and, and visibility and hopefully nothing truly was, was taken. But I think as, as. Uh, no matter if we're practitioners, um, customers, whomever, I think we have to be vigilant as well, right? Like practice mm-hmm. better hygiene, um, don't reuse passwords everywhere, things like that. I I will say, and I'm not trying to sound like an Apple fanboy, but I just like their, I like their mindset that they have, at least with their operating system, is what is important to, to our customers, and they've seen that security and privacy is so. I don't know if you have, uh, if you're using the this feature, but the the hide my ID or hide my email, mm-hmm. I think is a phenomenal little feature because you can create fake email aliases that tie back to your actual email. Mm-hmm. So if companies like that gets hacked, it's easy just to delete that alias and all ties are gone. 
Yeah. And I like that. It's it's so easy because I think Outlook has a feature like that, aliases. But the last time I checked, I think you're limited to 12. I could be wrong. I think that's what I saw a few years back. Mm-hmm. iOS, I think the soft limit is 100, which, oh, wow. how, yeah, which is quite a lot for what you get. But, yeah, definitely. I think that that would actually be a valid concern, right? Like all of the services that we interact with, whether it's email, streaming services, shopping, um, you know, every single thing wants our email and, and, you know, for something, right? And so um, I, w- I was always wondering, you know, what that theoretical maximum is. Um, but no, to answer your question, um, I haven't used it too often, um, but I, I did use something similar. So I, I still want to, because I, I would forget like, who I gave that email out to mm. if I didn't have a recent contact with them. And so I recently learned that in Gmail, um, you can add a plus sign and add an alias as part of your your email address. So yeah. well, let's say your your email address is pete at gmail.com. You can say, um, you know, I'm going to uh, use this on, on Amazon. So you can do pete plus Amazon at gmail.com and it'll mm. still route to your normal email address, but it'll have that alias of Amazon. So at least I use that a few times to track uh, where this email is originating from. Maybe it's a store like jQuery or something like that. And then if they ultimately get breached, I know that this was the offending party. Um, and so I thought that was a cool feature. Are you able to track like which oh, yeah. um, which emails like you you gave the I, iCloud ones out to? Yep, it, it tracks it. It puts the URL. And uh, I think last time I checked a date stamp as well. Nice. And with my actual iCloud email address, it also gives me an addition of three e- email aliases. So I have one that is just called like something receipts. Mm-hmm. So that way, if I go shopping or whatever, they keep one in my email, I'll just give them that one. And it's surprisingly how many of them are actually not selling my information because I'm getting a lot of weird spam emails from that one. <laughs> and I'm just like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I didn't sign up for a tennis newsletter. How am I getting a tennis newsletter? So I think we covered a lot of great stuff so far about how to prevent it, how to spot these things, um, how to, you know, best practices even at work and things like that. Yeah, definitely. So I think there's a few, quite a few best practices uh, that we could all be doing, right? And not even from an end user or employee's perspective, but even as engineers on the back back end, maybe infrastructure engineers or security engineers. So <clears throat> as an employee, any employee uh, within an organization, or even just, uh, you know, even as you're going out about the world and you have um, MFA enabled for some type of service out there, if it's spamming you f- through something like WhatsApp and it hasn't ever done that before, that should throw up some sort of like yellow or red flag, right? Where your spidey sense should be tingling. Like, why is it all of a sudden reaching out to WhatsApp? Um, <laughs> if your grandmother who you haven't spoken to in, in three months is all of a sudden asking you to, you know, send over five Bitcoin, that's a little. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I would, uh, uh, trust nothing, um, or I would say, you know, trust, but verify. Right. Um, and then, uh, on the other side of it, um, whether we're security engineers, sock and knock engineers, um, I think we can also do a better job or just be reminded to not inherently have that trust based on traffic credentials, location, because all of that could be spoofed. So 
um, <clears throat> we could um, we could do things like put in additional authentication mechanisms uh, in place. Um, we could limit the scope of users' access to things and, and constantly reevaluate that access. Right. So, um, if somebody from the marketing team is trying to access a network share, um, one they shouldn't have access to that. Um, but if they right. do, um, we should be able to monitor and log that uh, that activity. Why is somebody in, in marketing reaching out to a network share through through a command line or, or trying to connect to a web server or um, uh, a Linux server through SSH, for example? Um, uh, so you know some kind of some kinds of red flags or caution flags to watch out for. There, ultimately, it just um, really just depends on us all um, holistically being more vigilant, right? Um, from from the front. And to the back end, um, no matter what, uh, security is is so important that we all are in this together. And um, and I think uh, you know there's there's always technical solutions or technical ways to to mitigate um, the security incidents. But as as we discussed, um, a lot of them start with that human element. And so I think as humans, we should be a lot more vigilant. Yeah, and one thing I would say is. It could be as simple as a text message. So just two nights ago, I got a an alert from Wells Fargo that I have a transaction going out for $250 and click this link if I want to stop it. I don't have Wells Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> something you didn't click on it. <laughs> no, I did not. And, and 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 the funny part is, and this is just kind of go off on your on your on your point is just kind of look at it, right? The, the the text itself looked kind of legit, but it came from a full phone number. Like mm -hmm. it was like a five four zero something something something. These companies usually send out like a four digit number, but even on top of that, to your point, don't trust anything. Call the bank on the back of your credit card number, or grab it from your account itself. Don't I anything I get, I'm like I don't trust it. Even if I get it letter in the mail, mm -hmm. I don't believe it. I'm gonna call them. But that's just me. Don't don't trust anything like you said, right? Like we're in the same mindset. Then just it, it takes one mistake. Yeah, that's all it is. One mistake. Exactly. And and I have something to admit to you that five four zero number was really me. Um, I was <laughs> testing your security. <laughs> so you were testing me. That's what it was, right? You were in testing me in for the episode. <laughs> I'm glad I passed. Thank you. There you go. No, no it's actually was, no. No wonder you're asking for Bitcoin. There you go, right? No, actually, speaking of that, um, there, you know, you mentioned calling your bank, and what I really liked that you mentioned was calling the number on the back of your card because I recently read, I think it was like on Reddit or, or Hacker News or something, where um, uh, this person's um, transaction wasn't going through to buy some sort of crypto, and um, and they want they decided to call their bank well they couldn't find a number um and so they googled it and they weren't paying attention and mm -hmm. they didn't see it was a number it wasn't a number uh for their actual bank or through their bank website it was just uh, a spoofed maybe a misspelling website whatever it might be they called and a bad actor uh answered right um, the, as they're as they're supposed to um and they ended up you know saying like hey can you verify your transactions or can you verify your your identity? 
and ultimately um, leading them through uh, all of the questions that a typical authentication scenario would work with a with a bank login, for example. Um, and so, I think uh, the person ended up either I can't remember if they got um, it was the gift card scam or their crypto wallet ended up getting cleaned out. Um, but yeah, that, that's exactly um, I like that you mentioned that where you know. Even though we can Google it, Google is a great resource, but still don't trust what it's displayed to you on the internet, you know, mm-hmm. have some sort of other evidence or some sort of, uh, you know, vigilance to make sure that you're reaching to the right entity. Or worst case, if you log into your app of that, of that financial institution or whatever institution, if you usually at the bottom to have a nice little contact mm-hmm. in any app and you just use that instead. Exactly. Yeah. But they're getting smart and we have to be smarter it's just it's just crazy yeah (laughs) but i want to thank you again for for coming on today talking to me about this it was a very fun topic for me and i'm sure everyone else has learned something new or at least picked up a new practice i hope fingers crossed and definitely can't wait to the next conversation with you in the future thank you jay definitely thank you again for having me on um i really found the conversation delightful hopefully our our listeners found it insightful um and uh hopefully next time we we chat um you won't be copying my grand romantic ideas for my fiance (laughs) man i'm just kidding (laughs) now if i see you in in, it will be even funnier if we end up having the same honeymoon idea oh my god that will be (laughs) That will be a future discussion, and I will plan on beating you to that one then. All right. You know what? It's a bet. I'm not going to mention anything. I'm going to practice good security hygiene. I'm going to keep everything to myself, and we'll touch base, you know, after the honeymoon and then catch up on, uh, you know, where we each went. And what the plan now, if you see that random text message, it's going to be me this time asking you for information. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I will, I will, you, know, you have to understand, I'm a good, just as good attacker. So, <laughs> so you want your back too. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. No, it was, uh, uh, it was a pleasure being on. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm glad I got another opportunity to talk about, you know, DevOps, security, and, and ultimately just technology. Of course, you're always welcome here and, and everyone does enjoy our episodes. So thank you again. And as always, everyone, until next time, take care.